Amen. You guys can grab a seat. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 13 today, looking at uh, what I believe is one of the more unique stories of Jesus' life. But uh, before we jump into that, uh, let me just kind of catch some of us up. Maybe if this is the first time you're with us or first time in this series, we're in this series looking at what it means to actually be a Christ follower. What are the distinctives of following Christ? You know, if you're in a certain job or you play a certain role, if you're a mother, a father, a, a banker, or whatever job you have, you have certain things that kind of define you, that say, this is what I do, uh, this is who I am. And as followers of Christ, we have these distinctives as well, things that are maybe not each one is unique. We can find some of these qualities in different people, but when you put this set of distinctives together, it's kind of this unique picture of what it means to follow Christ. And so we've been looking at these internal things that then express themselves externally. And over the first couple of weeks of this series, we looked at how love, knowing that we're loved and how meaningful being loved is, can't help but express itself out. When we know we're loved by God, we will love others. And that shows up externally as we begin to worship. And not just worship, but we do it together as a body of Christ. And so it's, and we talked about how worship is not just singing songs, let's, you know, sing louder, things like that. It's, it's actually beginning to allow, worship is not something for God, it actually benefits me, it impacts my life. And then last week, Jeremy did a great job of laying the groundwork for, for the internal idea of forgiveness, of being forgiven. What does it mean to experience the forgiveness of God and then having the ability to forgive others? And I know for me, when I think about forgiveness, um, I love one aspect of it. I love the fact that God forgives me. I mean, I love the fact that I can live in that knowledge that God's forgiveness is available to me. There is nothing literally that I can do that is outside the realm of God's forgiveness. Nothing. I mean, I, it's not like I'm going to accidentally do something this afternoon, stumble into some kind of sin, and God say, that's it. No more. Like, that's the end of the line for you. Like, I love that. That's, there's freedom in that. But there's a part of forgiveness I hate as well, and it's that I have to show that same kind of forgiveness to everybody else. I mean, there come some times when in my life when I'm like, all right, that's enough. You've hurt me too much. You've done that too many times. I'm cutting you off. That's it. I mean, but God says that's not, if we're really experiencing forgiveness, it's got to flow out of us. And what I want us to do today is talk about what happens when what Jeremy talked about last week actually begins to play out in our life. How does that show itself externally? And the way I want us to Im create an image today is this forgiveness, understanding forgiveness, and allowing forgiveness to play in our life, receiving God's forgiveness and expressing that forgiveness to others is literally the soil by which fruit can begin to be produced. And that fruit is the fruit of being serving others and being generous to others. If I can't forgive people, you know what? I'll never serve them. There's no way. If someone, if I am still holding bitterness against somebody, I'm certainly not going to serve them. And even more so, I'm not going to be generous toward them. I'm not going to give them anything. I'm not going to bend over backwards. I'm not going to sacrifice for them. But yet that soil of forgiveness is where this fruit of service and generosity are born out of. And that's what we're going to look at today. How does forgiveness lead to a heart of service and generosity? Now, sometimes when you hear these two words in a church, service and generosity, you're like, okay, 
what's the pastor going to ask us to do today, right? I mean, is he going to ask us to serve somewhere? Is he going to ask us to give money to something? And so I want to kind of take those two things off the table this morning and say that's not the goal of our time together. The invitation, the response time is not to come down and sign up or to let's pass the offering plate again now that we've talked about generosity and to capitalize on those generous hearts. That's not what we're doing today because when we take this idea of service and generosity and we basically just boil it down and make it into acts to like doing one thing, it actually trivializes these two concepts. It takes the, it takes the power out of them. If, if generosity is simply writing a check, there's not much power in that. Anybody can do that. If, if service is just, you know, gearing up and saying, I'll, I'll at least do this that one time, you know, because somebody guilted me into it or whatever, that that's not truly what service is. And so that's not where we're heading today. We're heading to these ideas and trying to understand this broader meaning of these two distinct ideas. Anyone can give or volunteer, but a follower of Christ embraces these attitudes as a lifestyle. As I begin to walk out, my ability and my thought of serving and reaching out and being generous just naturally flows out of me. And so we're going to do this today by looking at what I said is one of the most unique stories, I think, of Jesus in the Bible. And it's in chapter 13, and it's Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And so before we get into this, let me set up a little context for you about what has happened up to this point. And so Jesus and his disciples are coming into Jerusalem. Now, this was a big deal. Jerusalem was the capital of Middle East back then. I mean, it was the center of commerce, the center of religious life. And there were a lot of people in Jerusalem that wanted Jesus dead. And the disciples said, do not go to Jerusalem. You will be killed. And Jesus said, no, I'm going anyway. And uh, so he takes them in. And to the surprise of the disciples, as they enter Jerusalem, there's literally thousands upon thousands of people welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem. It's called the triumphant entry. They're laying palms down in front of him. He's riding on a donkey. I mean, it is like, you know, when they shut down Fifth Avenue and have a parade. I mean, that is what's happening with Jesus. He's coming into the city and people are welcoming him as the new king, as a leader, as somebody they want to follow. And literally within just a few days, he's going to be hung on a cross. I mean, we, we know that, but the disciples didn't. So their idea was like, oh my gosh, we were wrong. The people of Jerusalem love you. We're so excited that you're here. And he took that opportunity to teach. And one of the things he taught about was forgiveness. And he taught about how forgiveness can play an incredible role in our life, like what we just talked about, of laying the groundwork for you to live and to follow Jesus. And he talked about forgiveness of their sins and how to make peace between God and man. He was inviting them to experience deep, true forgiveness. And then after this time, Jesus and his disciples went to a, an upper room, a quiet private room by themselves to celebrate the Passover dinner together. And as they entered the room, Jesus did one of the most unique and unexpected things that you or the disciples could imagine. And he says he took off his outer garments, put on a loincloth, and began to wash the disciples' feet, which was the job of the lowest servant of the household. It wasn't just a servant's job. It was like the newest guy on the on the job, that's what he got. You know, like, hey, that was, it was the dirtiest, nastiest job. But yet Jesus took on this role. And, and we were beginning to ask the question, why? So let's read this story 
together and as we do make some observations about why Jesus did this and what we can learn from it today. So John 13 chapter 1 or uh, chapter 13 verse 1 is where we start it says now this. Now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour talking about his crucifixion had come to depart out of the world to the Father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end. And I love that passage where it says he loved them to the end. I believe this first verse is key to understanding what Jesus is about to do. It says here that Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew what was coming. He knew his arrest was coming. He knew his crucifixion was coming. And in that moment, he wanted to very tangibly demonstrate to his disciples what following him meant. They were going to see him in just a few hours go to the cross and offer up his life for them. And so it'd be very easy for Jesus in this moment to say, what I'm about to do, if you follow me, that's what you need to do. You need to do whatever you can to eventually give up your life, to die for me. But that's not what Jesus does here. Because what Jesus says, look, I'm not saying it's easy to die for me, but what's more difficult is to live for me. To actually live out these things that I've taught you. To live out of the forgiveness that you have experienced. There's times in my life, I'll be honest, I'd rather for already be in eternity. I'd rather to, to like peace, happiness, whatever that's all going to look like. I'd rather go ahead and be there than to live in tumultuous times or times of uncertainty, things that I don't know are going to happen. I'd much rather be there. But that's not what God and Christ calls us to do. Not just to live for him and even die for him in eternity. It's to live out, be his hands and feet his mouth, his words, as we live his life. And so he, from the very beginning, he is saying, what I'm about to do here is show you a picture of what following me and living out of the forgiveness, that soil that you've experienced, the forgiveness ought to be in your life. He beckons us not to go to the cross, but to take up our cross on a daily basis. That's what he says, following me is, is not just going to the cross, but it is carrying your cross, this idea that you are being Christ everywhere you go. And the way that we do this is to experience that forgiveness and know that when we do that, forgiveness literally changes our heart. It changes it. It changes how we feel, what we think, how we act to our very core of who we are. It shifts and changes us in the term in the Bible that it's used as you're literally born again. A new heart is born in you. The old is not there. The new has come. And in this new birth, God pours new life, new purpose into every fiber of your soul. Now, I want you to catch that because sometimes we think following Christ is like adding on a new coat. Just putting on a new garment, like, you know, getting a new set of clothes and heading out and looking different. But that is not what Jesus is saying here. The ability to humble himself, take up the loincloth and get down and wash the disciples' feet is what he's saying. What I'm showing you, what I'm demonstrating to you is something completely different than you've ever thought about. It's a new way of living that comes from a new heart that has been shaped and changed. And so what I want us to do as we read the rest of the story, Jesus is going to kind of demonstrate these ingredients that are poured into our heart to form this new heart that we live out of. So look at verse 2 and see what it says. It says, during supper, so he knew what he was going to do. 
During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. I want you to stop right there for a minute because this is an important note. Jesus had decided to wash the disciples' feet and even Judas' feet to serve him at the lowest level, even knowing what Judas was going to do. And so here's what the first thing that forgiveness pours into our heart. Forgiveness pours grace into our heart. It only allows us to have grace for other people. Once I know that I'm forgiven, I have the ability to forgive others, even sometimes knowing that they're going to hurt me again. You ever had somebody like that in your life? You have somebody that just, they just know how to get you. They know what to say. They know when to say it. They know how to say it. They know how to just catch you in the right moment and really hurt you, really tear you down. I mean, Jesus knew this was coming. And here's the amazing thing. He didn't just know it, that it was coming from Judas. He also knew in just a few hours, Peter was going to deny him. The rest of the disciples were going to desert him. In his biggest hour of need, everybody was going to run away from him. And yet in that moment, even in knowing that, he chose to show grace and to wash their feet. It blows me away because you know what? Maybe I can show grace to somebody who I doesn't know is going to hurt me. And then when they do, I'll decide whether I'll show them grace at that point. But to show grace to someone or even a group of people who I know are vehemently vehemently opposed to me or that I know are out to get me or that I know will continue to fail me and to show them grace is a whole different grace than I can understand. And it's a grace that only comes from knowing that I have received that same grace from Christ. So what, what is grace? I want you to think through this. For a minute, grace, the way I've written it out is this. Grace is the ability to love someone, serve someone, and give to someone or sacrifice for someone, not because of what they have done for you or what they will do for you, but simply because it is what God has called us to do. It's the willingness to give, to serve, to sacrifice, no matter what they've done, no matter what they can do for you, simply because God has already done that for us. It is the ability to reflect God's grace back out to others. That's the soil of forgiveness. That's where we can begin to think about serving and being generous is by allowing God to pour grace into our lives. Now, that's an amazing thought. And, uh, you know, we all wish that we could pour that into our hearts all the time. But sometimes we create a counterfeit. We do something that we think is grace, but we actually create this counterfeit. And when the counterfeit to grace is this. It's obligation. Obligation. We'll do something for somebody if they'll do something for us. We create this trade-off, right? Like, I'll show you grace, but then you owe me. We start keeping the scorecard. I've forgiven you this many times, like, now you owe me. Like, you know, it's, it's the idea, you ever help somebody move? <laughs> like after you've helped somebody move, especially in the city, you're like, you owe me for that one. Like that is a, that's a big thing here. And it has this mentality of like, like, and that's the way we approach grace sometimes. Like I'll demonstrate grace to you, but only know now that I have some control over you. I have some power over you. And I want you to hear this. Jesus wasn't serving them to get the other, get the upper hand or to exert control in their lives. He wasn't doing this to create people that were indebted to him. 
Instead, he was doing this out of the immeasurable depth of God's grace toward us. It's immeasurable. God's grace toward you, listen to this, is completely immeasurable. Immeasurable. It's, it's more than the water on this earth. It's, it's more than the expanse of space. It is unlimited. It is immeasurable, literally, infinite. God's grace is infinite, and that means literally when we begin to express God's grace, we have an infinite amount of grace to lean on to pour out to other people. If you're looking in your own heart and in your own soul as the source of grace to other people, you will run out. It would be depleted very quickly. But when you tap into God's immeasurable grace in your life, you will never run out of grace. So grace is the first thing that we pour into our lives. And so my question to you is this. Are you manipulating God's grace to create relationships built off of obligation? You're like, I'll forgive, but, but, that but is a crazy word. It's one of those that puts conditions on everything. So we can't forgive and say but at the end. It is I forgive, period. I extend grace, period. Grace sets us free. It doesn't give us the freedom to then go and enslave others out of obligation. If grace sets you free, do not use what freed you to enslave others. The second thing we see uh, that is poured into our heart is in verses 3 through 5. Let's look at those together. It says this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to be going back to God, rose from the supper, and he laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and when he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around them. What I love about this passage is this. Jesus didn't just think about doing this. He actually did it. And what we pour into our lives here. But forgiveness does that pours determination into our hearts. This part of the story is actually putting grace into action. It's not just thinking about showing grace to somebody. It's doing it. It's actually getting up and washing somebody's feet. He was actually determined to do it. How often do we think about doing something for someone and showing grace to someone? And then we don't do it. But then we pat ourselves on the back for at least having that idea. Like, you know, that was a good thing you thought there, Patrick. Great idea. At least you thought about doing it. I'm sure the other people didn't even think about helping that person. But you at least stopped and, like, thought about it before you kept going. And so we, determination is like that we, when we have this thought, we, we do it. And I can tell you where this played out in my life in this city very early on. It was the first February we were living here, and Katie and Natalie and I, we were, got turned around coming out of Queensboro Plaza, and we were freezing, and we were like, we're just going to get on a bus, and we jumped on this bus, and there were, once we got on there, there were four people, well, five, including the driver on this bus. There was the driver, us three, and then this lady sitting right across from me. And I'd been in New York long enough to know that you don't talk to people on the bus. Like, you just keep your head, you know, what, you can talk to who you're with. And I'm sitting there, and like, God's Spirit just prompts me, like, talk to this lady. And I'm like, no, no, God, No. Like, maybe you don't live in New York. Like, this is not the thing to do. It would be weird. And I just kept getting this prompting in my spirit. I'm like, no, no, no. And, like, he kept prompting. I'm like, God, like, we've been on this bus for, like, five minutes now. It would be really weird now 
It would have been weird when I got on. It would be really awkward now to do that. And he just kept prompting my spirit. And I was fighting all that. I, we'd come to a stop, and I was praying she would get off. I was like, just get off. So I got on leave. And I'm like, at least, and I, I remember even thinking to myself, Pastor, at least you're listening to God at this point. Like, you know, wow, I'm super spiritual. I'm hearing the voice of God. And finally, like, God just broke my spirit, and he said, you know, talk to her until finally I did. And so here's what I, I was like, hey. <laughs> like, I mean, man, what a way to start that conversation. And uh, she looked up at me and she said, excuse me? What? And I was like, see, God, I told you. Like, she's about to go off on me. <laughs> and I was like, hey, how you doing? And uh, it was one of those moments I'll never forget. She immediately went into tears. And as we began to talk, she shared that it had been over a month since she had had verbal communication with anybody. She had been, been in the city full of people. But she was without a home. She was actually going to the VA right down the road from, from where we are now, scared to death of what, what might happen when she get there. She was lonely, scared, and afraid. And, never, and nobody, she felt completely isolated and alone. We talked very briefly. We prayed for her on the bus, and I told her we would pray for her. And honestly, I never saw her again. But it was one of those moments where God helped me realize it's not enough just to think about it. Step out and do it. When God prompts you, do it. Step out. Have the determination to follow God's Spirit in your life. And this is all great and grand until we try to, instead of, making a determination, we put a counterfeit in there. And the counterfeit sometimes we put in our heart is this desire for recognition. Like, oh, I'll serve God. I'll do something for somebody as long as other people see it, as long as I get credit for it, as long as, like, there's a story told about it. Have you guys seen this, like, trend now of, like, people doing things for homeless people, like report, recording themselves doing it and then posting it online? I'm like... What are you like? What are you, are you crazy? I mean, it's, but they're like, you know, trying to get all these followers and get social media recognition and, you know, reputation for like helping people by recording. Like they have a guy like with a hidden camera going around watching people help out homeless people. And I'm like, that is not what this is about. But we love, we, we laugh at that. But you know what? We, we do it in our own lives. We may not do it that obvious. But when there's an opportunity to serve where we'll get recognized, oh, we'll jump on that one. But when it comes in a quiet bus or somewhere where nobody else will see, it's easy for us to just walk on by. So don't let that counterfeit of recognition steal you from really having a heart, a determination to follow through. And the question is this, are you manipulating God's grace to create recognition for yourself instead of honor for him? Recognition for yourself or honor for him. Grace comes from God and should only point people to God. The last thing that we're going to see here that pours into our heart is found in verse 6 through 9, and it says this. Jesus has been washing some feet, and it says in verse 6, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, why am, why am I doing you? You do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, then Lord, not just my feet, 
but also my hands and my head. And I love this image of Peter here. Peter's, you know, the bold disciple, and he's probably watching Jesus wash these other disciples' feet, and they're not saying anything. He's like, Jesus is testing us here. So when he gets to me, I'm going to be like, Lord, do not wash my feet. Like, I'm, I should be washing your feet. And so, like, Peter's ready to, like, be the, the perfect example of disciple again. And he never learns because he, he does this all the time, and every time he gets it wrong. And so what we see here in Jesus' response when Peter does that is he says, look, if I don't do this, you're not part of me. This is actually what the third thing here, it's an act of affection. And that's the third thing that we pour into our heart is affection. That's what forgiveness pours into our heart is this idea that Jesus isn't doing this just to teach them, just to give them an example to follow. Jesus is doing this because he loves them. He actually loves them. He's not serving to show them up or to make them feel guilty. He's doing this because he loves them. It's coming from a heart that is overflowing with the love of God toward them. And he basically is saying, look, we're in this together. This is you and me. You don't have to go with this alone. We have deep affection. As we have deep affection for God, we have deep affection for other people. And what it does is we begin to see that everybody in here is equals. We're all gifted in different ways. We have different passions and different things that we're really good at and things that we are not so good at. That doesn't make one of us better than the other. It makes us equals. But here's what the counterfeit does when it when it comes in, and it sounds kind of good to start with, because we think, oh, I'm going to love these people. I'm going to love this group. And we get so tight that we start excluding other people. And that's what the counterfeit is, this exclusion. We become exclusionary. Like, I've got my tribe, and you're not in it. I've got my group, and we're huddled arms, and, man, I'm showing affection for these people, but I'm not worried about the people that are on the outside of me, the people that think differently than me, the people that hold different beliefs than me, the people that hold different political views than me, the people that have different priorities in their life, the people that speak different languages than me, the people that are from different cultures than me. We start being exclusionary in all these different ways. I mean, this is why political debates now turn into personal fights. Because we can't see that we can disagree with one another and then still have community with one another. And I'm not saying there aren't things that we ought to fight for and things we ought to stand up for. But I still want to, I never want to get exclusionary. I never want to think that somebody is beyond God's grace. And that's what affection does. It reminds me that God loved me while I was dead in my trespasses. I was at my very worst. God showed grace on me. And so even when I am distant from somebody, even when I am very different than somebody, I don't have the right and I can't exercise the ability to be exclusionary. I can't say anybody's outside of the ability to come into this grace family. So my question is this, are you manipulating God's grace to try to control people's behaviors? I'll love you. I'll forgive you. You can be part of this if you'll be exactly like me. And this is where we talk about unity versus uniformity. We as a church, we value unity. We want to be unified in Christ, but we are not a a church that wants or demands uniformity. It's okay that people in here believe different things about 
you know, political environments. It's okay that we come from different places and different backgrounds. We are never all going to agree on everything. And that's okay. But if we can find unity in who Christ is and what Christ has done in our lives, then from that heart, we can express ourselves personally. And that's putting exclusion aside and letting affection rule. I want to close with just a couple of thoughts of how this actually then produces fruit in our lives. When forgiveness comes into our life, our heart is formed by grace. It starts functioning out of determination and showing affection. And it literally becomes a heart that shows generosity and service. And I love what Peter said there. He said, don't just watch my feet then. Wash my hands. Wash my head. Wash all of me. And as this heart changes in our life, it changes our head and our hands and our feet and all that we do. When we begin to serve others, here's what it is. It's not a task. When we serve others, our eyes are opened to see the need. We begin to walk and we see need. But then our hands are ready to meet those needs. We're ready to respond with determination. And then our feet are swift to go where those needs are. We see somebody hurting. We see them from a distance. We think somebody else will take. No, our feet take us there. We start interjecting ourselves into places of need. We don't just think about it. We don't just read about it. If there's a need, we go. We get there. We, we as a church talk about we like to be a church that finds places that the good news of the gospel is not and go interject ourselves there because we believe there's hope to be found. And so we go to points of need and we help. So when we serve, our eyes are opened, our hands are ready, and our feet are swift. When we become generous, here's what changes. Our eyes stop looking for things that we can acquire and instead look for opportunities to give. We start seeing things as like, that's mine, and thinking, how can I give? Instead, our hands stop holding on to things and begin to release things for other people to use. And then our feet stop standing by and watching and start running toward opportunities to give. So my question as we finish up this is this thought. Has God's forgiveness so overwhelmed you that it changes the way you look at others, the way you serve others, and the way you give to others. See through the eyes of grace today. Serve with the hands of determination and move your feet with his deep affection today. Let's pray together.